Final victory and fitting praise. Romans 16, 17 through verse 27. Let's begin with the first verses here. Paul is gonna give one final exhortation. It's, it's so fascinating to, to kind of get in the mind of Paul and, okay, I think I'm done. I've said my greetings and goodbyes. And, and, and you, you think, man, maybe it's done. Nope. Maybe he woke up the next day. Guys, there's a little more. There's one more thing that I feel like the Lord's laid on my heart. We've got to get this down, make sure we get this in before we send it with Phoebe to Rome. Okay, so here it is, verse 17 through 19, a call for discernment, a call for discernment. I appeal to you, Paul writes, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So this is a call to discernment, a call to be wise, a call to be aware and on guard. Watch out. It's a, it's a guard against false teachers. What's interesting is that false teaching is, it's not new. It's not new. There are many over the years, hundreds upon hundreds, thousands, who have seen opportunity in the form of religion to take elements of truth and twist them up for their own purposes and then build their kingdoms by proclaiming falsehood and leading Scores of people to the fires of hell. Satan loves this. He loves this. And it didn't just happen. It happens today. It happens today. All across our nation and all around the world. Look at the sum up that he gives. How do you identify a false teacher? Here are some of the things that that will display themselves. If you're discerning, you will see this. They come in and they cause divisions They put obstacles in people's way. It's not far from the same uh, concept of a stumbling block or a scandal on. They trip people up when it comes to doctrine. It is not the sound doctrine of the word. It is human logic. It's philosophies. It's, well, it seems to me that God should be. Oh, man, if if you hear someone going down that road, rather than saying, thus saith the Lord, this is who he is. Right, this is who he is, according to his self-disclosure. You might be sitting under the ministry of a false teacher. Be aware, be on your guard. One of the calls of the elders of this church and elders in every church is to guard against false teaching. Be aware, protect the sheep from false teachers. This church, in this room, at one point we had false teachers operating. By the grace of God, the toilet was flushed and they were expelled. It needed to be done. I'm serious. I mean, this is, you talk about feed poison to the sheep. Is that what we want? No. We feed on the word of God. It is the good food. It's the right food. And it's timeless in its truth. It reaches all ages in every place with the timeless, unchanging truth of the word of God. More on that next week. These false teachers serve their own appetite, but they don't say that. 
They say, I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I am here on his behalf. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they serve their own appetite. Smooth talk and flattery. Rarely will a false teacher knock on your front door and say, hi, my name's Joe. I'm a false teacher. I'd like some time with you. That's not how it goes. No, they slide in. They slither in like the snake of old. They slide into places like an angel of light with flattery and smooth talk. Many times, these people are the nicest people you've ever met. I remember meeting Brian McLaren. He's a false teacher. He came to our church in Michigan to teach our staff, which shows you a bit of how messed up that church was and why we left. There were people who knew he was coming. This was that whole postmodern garbage. It's just like garbage can, kick it, right? He was the main proponent of this, selling it. A new kind of Christian. Oh, it was a great appealing book, and it played to all of the cultural touch points of the day. Truth is relative. Be tolerant and accepting. And here's the thing. This guy was so nice. There were people who, who came and joined that meeting. They weren't a part of our group, but they came and they heard he was gonna be there and they wanted to shred him and he was so kind and nice and by the end of the time, even the most angry people that came in to, to attack him were like, oh, well, it's good to meet you. You know, it was, I've never seen anything like it. Smooth talk and flattery. What do they end up doing? Well, they deceive those who are weak, those who are undiscerning, those who just wander in. Oh, that sounds good, that kind of place to kind of, what I like, I like hearing these things. It gets, I, I feel like I fit in more in this culture if I embrace these things. It's not as hard as it seemed to be when I was reading the Bible. This sounds better. I think I'll follow this man. Here's what 2 Peter says. Man, you talk about call them out. These, Peter writes, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. They're suffering the wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, revealing their deceptions while they feast with you. He's writing this to the church. Be aware, be on guard. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They, are, uh, they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, Peter. And this is Peter. We know Peter, right? He doesn't mince words. The zealot, the, the fire is coming out. He is standing against these false teachers. And then uh, this, I think, captures it best. Verse 19. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Be discerning, church. Be discerning. When you turn on a Christian radio station and someone's singing or someone's preaching, when you walk into the Christian bookstore, believe it or not, you can't let your guard down there. Maybe all the more so. Be discerning. 
When you see the bestseller list of Christian books, you can bet that a number of those who sell the most are false teachers. It's nothing new. This was a problem back then. It is a major problem today. Jesus himself said this, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That's why at this church, it's this book that we all collectively together are underneath. What's the authority in this room, friends? It's not me. It's not me. It is the word of God. Sufficient, clear, authoritative, unchanging, timeless and true. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Are you ready? Okay. Here's some names. I did some work this week. I want to do this with care, okay? You might take a picture of this. Not everyone on this list commits the same offense, okay? Caveat, let's be clear. Some of these are blatant false teachers and... (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to spot. Some of these have chosen a path of compromise to appease culture. They, some of these even started solidly and, and, and gained a following, and now they have turned into the dark, and they lead people into the dark. These are preachers. These are authors I even put Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry on this list because it's so horrifically compromised. Know this, friends. We could put music labels on this list. We we could put musicians and artists. I didn't even go down that road. Be discerning, friends. The call is to be discerning. Norman Vincent Peale, you don't even realize how many people are basically regurgitating his garbage. That whole first list in in, in a lot of ways, except for the Pope, which I'm gonna get to him soon. (laughs) Many of them are just Norman Vincent Peale rewritten, blah. It's garbage. You say, Pastor, you put the Pope on the list of false teachers. Absolutely. Do you realize who the most horrific false teacher of our day is? It's the Pope. It's the Pope. The angel of light that masquerades as as kind and, and gentle and all of these things while leading people to the fires of hell. Let me be clear. Roman Catholic doctrine is compromised at its core. The gospel is lost. That's why we're Protestants. Martin Luther understood this and he started over 500 years ago a reformation to move from compromise back to sola scriptura. The Pope doesn't have authority to speak on par with scripture. Look at the compromise in the last three years of what the Pope has said to appease the culture. There are people within the Catholic Church who are like, um... Uh-huh. What do we do with that? It's loving to point out danger. That's my goal. My goal is not to express any hatred for these people, but to lovingly say, 
Look out, be on your guard. Stephen Furtick, here's the thing. You can get a lot of things right and then you can mess up some really important things horribly. He has all kinds of heretical teachings, one of which is just that common first column that shows up again and again, little gods. We're little gods. <laughs> Todd White, the faith, the faith healer, you know, you see the crazy videos. Hey, your legs are not even. I'll pull one and straighten it out. That is charlatan, that is snake oil salesman, that is garbage. There are so many people mixed up into this. Oh, signs and wonders, we wanna see all the manifestations of the spirit. Paula White, let's be clear, prosperity gospel. President Trump delighted in her as a faith leader for his heart. That's very concerning for a former president. Sarah Young, Jesus Calling, and then I don't even know how many myriads of follow-up books have been written. I had that book. I read that book for a while, and someone said, hey, you should read the introduction and see what you think. So I did, I read the introduction, and sure enough, one of the things you've gotta ask is, what does the author of this book think about this book? You know what Sarah Young said? Basically, she said, it's insufficient. I needed more. And so I began to write what I think God would say to me in the mornings. And guess what? You have a devotional book that is extremely man-centered and extremely consistent in putting words in the mouth of God that may or may not be there. That is not what we do. We hold and esteem the word of God. So I got rid of that book and actually texted my parents. I'm like, you should get rid of Sarah Young. Her book's not cool. And they realized it, and they're like, ooh, out it goes. Rachel Hollis, Rachel Held Evan, Jen Hatmaker, John Eldridge, he espouses open theism. That's a very blatant heresy. He teaches Freudian psychology mashed together with, with uh, biblical principles. Now, am I saying categorically that all these people are unsafe? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there may be some of these people who are saved with the gospel, truly saved, but have then erred so significantly from the gospel that they are leading people to an unsavable salvation, a gospel that's compromised. Some of them have endorsed the culture so heavily that they applaud sin and condemn righteousness. So, I'm not gonna go through every single name on here. I will say I have had direct interaction with a handful of these people. And I am grateful for the grace of God that snatched me from under any potential influence that would lead me into the dark. I am so blessed. If it wasn't for his grace, where would I be? We're not better than these people, let's be clear. We have received grace to see truth and stand on it. No compromise, no apology. That's our call. So be on guard, watch out. If you have questions about anyone on this list, follow up with me, I can point you to some things that will help you understand why I put them on this list. There are many, many more, to be clear. 
Pride and popularity tend to drive false teachers. If you really begin to unmask what is operating in the heart of a false teacher, it's this. It's self, it's esteem, applause, bigger crowds, more people, more likes on Facebook. Profit and possessions, oh, it's not hard to spot some of these things as well. Let's just be clear, if you have a 24 karat golden toilet, you may indeed be a prosperity preacher. Profit and possessions. What is the greatest dream of the teacher, the preacher? Is it to reach to the ends of the earth and see the gospel advance for the glory of Christ or is it to get a private jet? Please man and pacify the culture. Tell people what they want to hear. Build them up. Oh, you're such a wonderful person. God just falls all over himself to get to you and give you a sloppy wet kiss. Right, whatever it may be, he's, he is there, he is applauding everything you do, just cheer, he's like your cheerleader. Is that the God of the scripture? No, that is a false teacher buttering people up so that they will make him great. And in doing so, he compromises the gospel to make it about us and not about God. Power and pleasure go hand in hand the greater success false, false teachers have, the greater depravities tend to show up and the train wrecks that are easy to spot over the last number of years, high profile. Hmm. Be on guard against these people. Pray for the leaders of our church for the opposite of these things, for humility to love the glory of God above all else. Pray for the expansion of the gospel to the nations. Pray that they will live in the fear of man and stand in love against the culture of sin. Pray that they will lead as servants and find their pleasure in Christ. Paul says, just a short little commandment here, Avoid them, avoid them. So here's what I encourage you. I, I have a heresy shelf, I keep it behind closed doors in my, in my office and in every one of these books I've written, in case I die, this book is trash, basically. So whoever goes through my books, you'll find this and you'll know. This is garbage, I was not loving this book, okay? So I have purchased a handful, I hate giving folks money like this, so I try to find ways, you know, get them as cheap as possible, free if possible. Uh, every now and then someone donates a set of books and they come in there and I'm like, oh boy, right? <laughs> That's not going in the church library. <laughs> going on the heresy shelf. But your job, friends, is not to read all their books. Don't do it. Identify false teachers and get out of their way. Don't go under their teaching. Don't sit there and think that you can just benefit from the few morsels of truth that they say when you're trying to dodge all of the heresy that they teach. What's the point? Avoid them, Paul says. Avoid them. Paul goes on, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. This is kind of his point. 
Avoid them. You don't have to go into the dark to understand that it's dark, right? I remember in, in Bible school, I had friends who uh, were bragging about the books they were reading. These were godless books filled with garbage. And this is what they were saying. We're reading this so that we understand the people that we're trying to reach. No. That's not what Paul's suggesting here. I remember when I worked in Mars Hill all those years ago, the encouragement was to subscribe to as many popular magazines, spin magazine, and get all the magazines so that you know the vibe of the culture that you're trying to reach. You know what's ironic about that? Is it'll suck you in. And I watched person after person around me begin to cave and slide into this culture of darkness. Be wise as to what is good. What should we spend our time doing? Right here. Live in the word. Know the word inside and out. Let, let the word know you. Let your Bible be so tattered that from use over the years that you have to replace it often, right? Live in the word, not in the dark. Wise in what is good, innocent in what is evil. Innocent here does not mean that you don't practice discernment. It means you don't have to experience evil to know something is evil. We don't want to have to go in the dark to say that's not okay. The way we do that is by delighting in what is light. We see what is right and good and true and we set our minds on those things. We delight in those things. Hmm. Brothers, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says basically the same thing. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, adults or mature, right? Be babies when it comes to darkness and evil. Inexperienced. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't need to know. That's evil. That's dark. But I do know about this book, right? I do know about what God says is best. His way is always best. Discernment and distinction. This is practicing holiness in an evil age. What does it look like to be holy? It means that we, we know what is holy as we look at who God is and what he's commanded, and we come out from the darkness of the word of the world, and we are set apart from the world. Not, not hating people, loving people, seeking to reach people, but not by becoming dark. We shine as light. That's the call. The call is be discernment and be distinct. Discerning and distinct. It reminds me of Psalm 1. Oh, this is such a beautiful way of speaking of this. Blessed is the, happy is the man, right? Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is what? He's an adult in what is good. He's mature in his thinking. His delight is the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. If you want to be successful in evangelism, live and plant yourself like the tree in the word, the water of the word, and you will bear fruit. Its leaf doesn't wither. You want to survive the storms that are coming your way, the challenges, the suffering, be planted in the word of God. You want to prosper? <laughs> you want a prosperity gospel? The true prosperity 
It comes from knowing God, treasuring God, living in his word. These are good words for us, calls for discernment. In a day of compromise, radical compromise, even in this county, I am appalled of the stories I hear of people who are coming from churches in our county of rampant compromise. We've got to stand on the word of God, friends. Let's move on. Verse 20, a crushing victory, a crushing victory. This is so hope bringing, hope-filled, just triumph in view. So with all the darkness, all of the challenge, all the false teaching, now look at what's coming. He says this to the church in Rome, the God of peace, what a beautiful title that is, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And then he gives this blessing to them, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul references here one of the first prophecies of your Bible. Look at what happens here. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. When God is pronouncing the curse upon the serpent of old, that is Lucifer, Satan himself, here is the curse that is pronounced. I will put, part of the curse, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, who is that? Jesus Christ. He, the Messiah, the one prophesied of old in the beginning. This is the third chapter of your Bible. We're talking about Jesus. He shall bruise your head or crush is another way to translate it. Crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. I believe that this takes place not in one act, but over a few different acts, the crushing of the head of the serpent of old. The most decisive crushing of Satan's head took place in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the the same serpent of old who opposed Christ. He hated Christ. He knew his mission and he did everything he could to dissuade him from it and he threw every possible uh, barrier to prevent him from accomplishing his work, suicidal in his attack such that when Jesus was killed on the cross, he was defeated. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed, that is Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities, that is Satan and all his cohort, and he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. That is, I guess, that is in Christ. So he would be the father. The father disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in the son, Christ. This was the decisive defeat of Satan. He knows it. He knows his days are numbered. There is no hope for Satan. The second, I would say, is under our feet as we stand firm in Christ. Satan is being crushed in the authority of the Christ that is ours, that we have been commissioned to go and carry his name. He is being crushed under our feet. Think of the, of the words here. Oh, man. He's being crushed under our feet 
as we stand firm. Think Ephesians 6, the armor of God. We just looked at that recently, so I'm not going to read all those verses. But as we stand firm, how? Are we Satan hunters? No. No. We stand firm in the one who crushed the head of the serpent in his authority. We don't go after Satan. It's not our job. Jesus deals with Satan. We stand in his name. We stand firm. We hold the shield to extinguish the fiery arrows. We wield the word, right? We, we go in his name. And his, his crushing is, is progressive as we do our work and the kingdom advances until the Lord returns. Now, I think there's a third defeat, a, a third crushing that takes place. That is the battle of Armageddon. The end of the uh, seven-year tribulation, we're gonna be looking at these things in a few weeks out. Um, the, the end of the, uh, of the seven years of tribulation, there is a great battle that Satan comes and he brings all these people and they come and they are defeated. And Satan is bound and thrown into the pit for a thousand years. That is a crushing blow. Is he bound right now? Does it feel like Satan is bound right now? No, he's not bound. He's on the loose. He's prowling. He's preying upon people. He will be bound for a thousand years and we will reign with Christ on this earth. And after that thousand years is up, he will be released and he will muster the, the nations, all the nations, and he will bring them to attack Jerusalem and there will be the final decisive crushing of Satan with fire and he will be thrown into the lake of fire. Listen to how Revelation 20 reads, when a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and he will come out to deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle and their number is like the sand of the sea. All the nations will move to attack the city. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That's Jerusalem. Does that sound scary? Let me just pause here. You ever recorded a, a football game and you haven't watched it yet, right? You haven't watched it. And the rest of the day, you're just trying to be like, please don't talk about what happened to the Seahawks. Don't tell me. I don't want to. And someone is like, hey, we won. <laughs> oh, no. How are you going to watch that game now? You're going to watch it differently, aren't you? I still watch him because I want to see how it unfolds. I want to see how that happened. But I know that if we're down by three touchdowns, it's going to be okay. Right? It's somehow, I don't know what's going to happen. Wilson's going to do his thing because, well, maybe not anymore, but <laughs> somehow we're going to win this game because my friend, unless he was lying to me, he said we win. This, my friends, is your friend who spoils your recorded game, okay? This is the Apostle John telling you the final decisive defeat of Satan. How's it gonna go? Oh, it seems dark and scary. It seems like there's an overwhelming number. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. That's it. Game over, right? And the devil, the serpent, 
who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet already were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Crushed. That is a crushing victory. Few people in the Old Testament anticipated this to be a a progressive work. They saw a triumph coming, and they wanted to see Jesus put down the Romans and just do this thing, let's set up the kingdom. They didn't anticipate this to be an unfolding display. We are in the story right now. We know how it ends. It ends in victory. This gives us hope. As dark as it gets, we got hope. We win. We win. Do your worst. We win. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, why did he say soon? This, this, is, an, this is a valid question. If you lived in Rome, and you're like, eh, soon? Some say, well, it was a reference to something that was take, gonna take place in, you know, in history down back there in Rome. It was a, a small-scale crushing. No, I don't think that's what's in view. I think Paul's talking about the finality of Satan being defeated. We've got to remember how God has a very peculiar and unique relationship with time, doesn't he? He authored it. He doesn't, he's not bound by time like we are and always will be. He, he is free. So think of this. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So God can enter into time and live one day as if it is 1,000 years to us. Think of how involved he can be in every single little piece. We often look at the second. We don't consider the first. A day is as a 1,000 years to God. He can enter in in that way. Don't ever think your prayer request is too small for God. He is not limited by the things that limit us. But then also, Consider this, when this promise was made, that was like two days ago to God. It's like a couple days ago. He's not, he's not worried that all this time has passed. It seems like so long, 2,000 years, oh man. God is totally in control. All proceeds according to plan. His day is appointed, it is fixed, and he will do it. So I think for us, we need to remember that the day is coming The day is coming and we are called to be ready. Our our job is to be ready. It'll be sudden. That's one thing we can say for sure. Soon, well, it depends upon what perspective of time we look at. Soon to us, maybe tomorrow, could be. Soon to the Lord could be three days or 3,000 years from now. It's how he decides. Our job is to be ready. Now, final greetings here. This is thrown in. I love, I love this. You see, again, the kind of the human involvement with Paul as he's got his, his crew there in Corinth. And, and uh, here's some final greetings. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. All of a sudden, we see, oh, there's, there's a secretary. Paul's dictating these words under inspiration of the Spirit. Tertius, good with a pen, Right, working on, scribing it in. I greet you in the Lord Gaius, who is host to me, and to the whole church, he greets you. This man was a a very wealthy man. 
of esteem, and, and, and he says, make sure to send my greetings to Rome. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. That we, we know very little about most of these people. We just don't know much. But they're all playing a role. They're all there. They're all delighting in and encouraging in this letter as it's about to be handed to Phoebe to be carried to Rome. And as it's then, after all these years, brought to us for our joy. So, the greetings. Now, verse 24. I was going to ask someone to stand and read that from the ESV. Uh, it's not there, is it? It's missing. You ever have that? I love doing this in Bible study. Can you uh, read Romans 16, 24? Just go ahead and just fire it away. You go there, you're like, wait. There's a verse there, but there's nothing there. When you come across this in your Bible, just be encouraged. This is another reason why I trust God's word. This is a demonstration of confidence. The original manuscripts do not contain those words. So what does the ESV do? Rightly, they leave them out. It's not God's word. It was probably a, a scribal error or a, a double copy from verse 22, something like that. It's, it's just a blessing. The grace of the Lord be with you in, in Jesus Christ, something along, along those lines. But if it's not in there, then we just go to verse 25. I like that. I like that. That should inspire confidence in you, not the opposite. We look to the original manuscripts and we stick with them. We don't just err on the, on the side of optimism. Well, it's probably all right. No. I love the tenacious work of translation that we see in display here. So let's go to 25 through 27. An overflow of praise. An overflow of praise. Look at where we've been, okay? Before we go to this doxology, look at the ground we've covered. From March 14th, 2021, can anyone actually read that? that that's pretty small. Can you see that, Alex? You got the glasses? I, <laughs> I can barely see it from here. We have covered a ton of ground. All of these are on our YouTube channel. You can go back and listen. Many of you were sick or, or, or on vacation or gone. I would encourage you, go back and fill in the blanks. M listen to the ones you missed. This is what Paul is considering as he writes these final words. I just want us to feel this. As I look back over all that I have said under the inspiring um, work of the Holy Spirit to pin these words through Tertius. Now comes the worship. This is the, this is the unrestrainable overflow of delight in God as he considers these things. Now, Paul could have said this, okay? Maybe other Bible authors may have kept it short. If you want to know the very core of the doxology, this is how it reads. Now to him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. He could have said that and, and then been done, but we know Paul, right? We know how Paul does this. Paul loves commas. Actually, I don't know. We use a lot of commas when we're dealing with Paul because he just goes on with it. So listen to how he builds this out. I think this is a summary of Romans, of, of the beauty of the gospel. Look at what he says here. Now to him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. Let me build this out. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, church, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. There's just a pause and ponder moment there. How is it that as believers we are strengthened? 
We are strengthened by the gospel and the proclamation of God's word, God's word. Sometimes people come into my office and they say, I've rolled into sin. I've, I've been living in the dark. I've this and that. Our marriage is falling apart. This problem, this problem. And one of the first questions I ask is, have you been in the word of God? Have you been sitting under preaching in the local church? Oftentimes the answer is, not really. Is it any surprise that your life will begin to fade into anemic spiritual life, apathy, weakness, tripping all over yourself into sin? Satan loves people who don't sit under preaching. He loves to target them with everything. How will you be strengthened, Christian? By the word of God. You say, well, I, I, and I, read it, I read it at home. Isn't that enough? Well, the word of God is, is meant to be proclaimed. The word of God is to be proclaimed with authority. That's the call to the preachers. Preach the word. We need to be sitting under preaching regularly, and we need to be confronted by the word with authoritative preaching. And so I do this during the week. I love this. I get to sit under the word of other preachers that I find that shepherd my soul in the word. And I delight then to do the same for you. It's the word that strengthens us through the proclamation of it. Sitting in the word, studying the word. He goes on. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. So many key words in there. Maybe the biggest is the word all. All nations. (laughs) According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Think of all that's taking place in here. Let me try to kind of sum this up. This is the gospel that we've studied in Romans. It is the saving righteousness that was prophesied of old and revealed in new in Jesus Christ. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The prophets spoke of Christ, and he came to vivify, to make alive, fulfill that righteousness. Saving righteousness is found in Jesus Christ alone. It is to be received by faith. The command of the eternal father is, trust my son and you will be saved. That's the mission of Jesus. Saving righteousness is also for all who believe. What an amazing mystery revealed there. In Christ, all nations will be blessed. That's a promise of old, fulfilled in Christ, and someday in its fullness, when we sing together with some from every nation, tribe, and tongue, one people of God forever. What an awesome gospel we have. And then he closes this way. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. And he means it. That's the final amen. There's no more you know, add-ons here. That's, that's it. So be it. Let it be, he says, amen. It's right to end a survey of the gospel with soli deo gloria. To God be the glory alone. How is this glory brought to pass? Through Jesus the Son. Friends, what a glorious gospel we have. 
We talk about this gospel, this word means good news. We have good news for people who are desperate for hope in life and forgiveness, satisfaction and joy. We have that in the gospel. But even bigger than that, what a glorious God who would display the wisdom in bringing a gospel like this to sinners undeserving like you and me. Soli Deo Gloria. So we close this letter with three kind of big picture calls from this text. Discernment, destiny, and doxology. Christians, be discerning. Be discerning. Be careful who you sit under. Don't just wander in because everyone around you does. Be careful, be aware, discern, test, and approve. Like the Bereans, stay on the word of God. Remember your destiny. We win. We win. And rejoice. Rejoice in the God of all glory. That is what we will do forever together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the spectacular display of your wisdom in the words of the book of Romans. We delight in all that you are, O sovereign God, gracious, merciful, just, kind, true, wrathful, and forgiving. We delight that you would set this beautiful gospel among the nations, a call to repent and trust Jesus that reaches the ends of the earth as we go. God, thank you for saving us here. We are undeserving sinners who, if left to ourselves, would run breakneck to the fires of hell. Yet you, in your gracious love, came down and stirred our hearts to life to see Jesus Christ, and you brought us into this great life. Oh, by grace we've been saved through faith. We delight in you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us. Make us more and more those who just glory in you who have confidence as we deal with the dark world that there is light, there is victory. It is sure and certain. Make us discerning, O God. Help us to be wise as we walk in this world. Build us up according to the preaching of your word, faithful and true. O God, strengthen your church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.